0: The following is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905. 972-7420. 9727420. Good morning, gentlemen. Good to see you all. Good morning, Good morning Scott. Scott. And I know uh, Gary is going to touch on this uh in a little bit, but you know, we're still hearing the inflation and the price of energy and the price of groceries and and everything going up. What does this do to our investment? Does it change risks? Uh, h- how do you wade through all this with your clients, guys?
2: Yeah, you know, that's a great point. And absolutely, these are very topical. And inflation, we haven't, you know, it wasn't long ago we are talking about deflation and worrying about it being negative. And that's not good for the economy either, but neither is higher inflation. And so that is a, a massive, you know, drawdown on a people's lifestyle. When they're used to a certain cash flow and, you know, forward thinking, say a year from now, if it was 10% inflation, which I don't believe it will be, but all of a sudden you need 10% more money to buy the exact same goods. So that hmm. is definitely one of the many risks that is going on and it's, it's unsettling for the stock markets and very unsettling right now for the real estate market, as you've seen. Uh, but you know, there's web and flow and I oh, Gary's going to touch on all the different risks that affect investments.
3: Yeah. Thanks Don. And, and good morning, Scott. Um, you know what? I am sure, in fact, it, undoubtedly many of our listeners, you know, have portfolios or, or even, even their own home values that have dropped. And uh, and and so I think it's really important to uh, for everyone to to have a a clearer understanding of the situations and events that that contribute to drops in values, particularly with uh, with investments. I think that there's a uh, there's a there's a gap with uh, with the understanding that many people have as to we only get so much news. It's hard to. Uh, really understand exactly what's behind the uh, the headlines that we're we're seeing in terms of what what causes these things. so let's let's talk about the various forms of risk, the actual, actual risk, and assumed risk because they're they're two very different things. Um, so the term risk takes on a, a broad range of meaning when we use it in the context of invest investing. And you know we use we we throw around terms like risk tolerance, risk adverse situations. Uh, risk versus reward, and so on and and a lot of times those those types of terms are are misunderstood so there's also many synonyms for the for the the term risk and i like to I like to think of risk in terms of fluctuation uh, deviation you know market swings, and sometimes volatility and you know those are just to name a few, and all of those things can cause not only emotional stress, but also lead to, you know, to people making harmful decisions based on fear, and a lack of understanding of the of the various causes of market downturns. And I think that's key. And And also a distinction between the various contributing factors to why markets can go down. So well, part of
2: just, our just on that note, Gary, all yep. those words, those are all headline words. Mm-hmm. Those are kind of the words that you see on the front page to grab eyeballs and i 'm sure all of a sudden you got the re- the listeners attention right now just using those words because we gravitate to fear yes yes uh, good point absolutely and and
3: you know they are headlines and and really, what I wanted to get at you know today is just really talk about what 's behind all that and and what contributes to it so you know part of our responsibility as as certified financial planners is to is to really help clients in gaining a clear understanding of, of the relevant circumstances as to why investments may go through a down period at various times. You know, when, as investors, people, people look at their, their statement balances and so on, and okay, I'm up, I'm down, but very often, uh, I know that there's there's not really a clear understanding as to as to what's going on to to contribute to that. And and by the way, certainly it goes without saying, it never feels good. It never feels good <laughs> to, to look at your portfolio and, and see that you're you're down. And when they've lessened in value, it's 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 as I as I'm saying, it's very, very important and beneficial if uh, clients understand the forces at work that are affecting their investments. So let's look at some specific forms of market risk. So let's, let's get into it now. So let's start with with interest rate risk. And Don, you, you, know, you touched on inflation, and, and we've talked a lot over time on the show uh, this year, certainly since, uh, since March in particular, about, about interest rates you know, going up. So we've been experiencing this form of risk, of interest rate risk in particular, since March of this year, when the Bank of Canada started aggressively raising interest rates. So that puts significant pressure on, let's talk about the fixed income side of things, because fixed income investments, in the minds of many people are their quote and unquote, safe investments. They don't fluctuate like equities do. uh, And in many people's minds, they really, they really shouldn't go down, because they're, they're called fixed income investments. So you know let's let's look at at bond and mortgage fixed income funds just very quickly in terms of the fundamentals and how they work so if we look at uh, if we look at a bond portfolio uh, the the coupons that um, that are paying or mortgages, the interest rates the interest that is earning from from mortgages within a portfolio and so on, this year with the rise in interest rates, we saw their values become undervalued, if you will which concerned a lot of people because they didn't really understand or it was never explained to them. And I'm sure a lot of listeners right now are saying, yeah, I don't get that. So there's a, you know, there's a phenomena, of course, um, that takes place in situations like that. So, you know, throughout 2022, we've identified that interest rates have, have done nothing but, but move forward. So the reason essentially that, that fixed income investments are down is because the, Within those vehicles, those investment vehicles, if they're bonds or mortgages, the same principle applies. They become undervalued temporarily because the interest rate that was prescribed for those particular vehicles was prior to the beginning of the rise of interest rates. And so, the interest rate, the in- interest rates that exist for bonds and mortgages in the marketplace now are much, is much higher. So, it's at a premium. So that undervaluation is temporary because those bonds and mortgages will continue to move into the fund over time, and that will begin to increase the uh, the the yield on on those portfolios so yes, fixed income investments there is that inverse relationship, so they certainly can go down when interest rates rise quickly so that's it's important to to understand that and um, that's this inverse relationship you know really does catch catch many investors off guard because if the concept has never really been explained and we do that, you know, we certainly talk about that, Don, with our clients
2: mm-hmm. on a
3: regular basis, And even in terms of pre-warning or pre-cautioning clients that when we get into periods of rising interest rates, this is what we, we can expect to happen for a
2: period of time. And just to further on that, you know, a lot of people with pension funds have a lot of fixed income inside that pension right. fund. They just don't have to deal with it. They know they're getting a monthly check They don't see the rise and fall, even though 40% may be in fixed income. Right. No, absolutely good point. Now, the last time we saw a situation like we've experienced
3: this year was actually in the spring of 1994. We saw a very similar situation at that point in time. Fixed incomes were going down, a lot of head scratching and concern. Uh, So it's important to understand that concept. Now, inflation risk. And Don, that's what you opened the show with, really, was talking about inflation. So that simply refers to situations where, where the price of goods and services increased more than we expected them to. Therefore, we're getting less purchasing power, or in other words, the same amount of money um, results in the inability to maintain previous spending levels. So inflation, as far as the investment world goes, um, you know, we have to understand that if we're receiving a certain amount of income from our investments – that amount of income may no longer service the the needs that we have. And uh, so we may have some, some limitations in terms of what we can spend 2022 certainly has been a classic example of that. Other periods in time, people will remember night, the mid mid 1970s, early 1980s, and the early 1990s. We saw periods very similar in terms of, of what inflation or how inflation can impact things. Um, Currency risk. Very quickly, uh, international currencies are always in a constant state of fluctuation. Uh, probably most common to most people is is keeping an eye on what the Canadian dollar is to the U.S. dollar, and that relationship because that has a huge impact on investments as well. Uh, number four is is volatility risk. Now, volatility risk, and and there's that word volatility. We can we can name it whatever we want. That, that <laughs> simply means fluctuations. Yep. And and perhaps a risk that is more common and, and no doubt in the minds of most investors is that word volatility. So it's essentially it is the risk of a change in value of a portfolio as a result of changes in the, the volatility or fluctuation of a particular risk factor. So there's a proportional relationship between volatility and the expected or assumed returns. So in, investors really have to accept a measure of uncertainty in order to get higher rates of return. And uh, the only, you know, the, the, the extreme op, uh, option in the other direction is to accept the lowest rate of return year over year that is available through some sort of a, of a low yielding savings vehicle. But we know, depending on one's risk profile, risk tolerance timeline, all those things, we know that if there's a mixture of equities in with their portfolio, in varying degrees, then that is going to ensure over the longer haul, uh, a higher rate of return. And, uh, you know, just look at, uh, when we're looking at the inflation, the whole inflation situation, you know, the the current inflation rate, seven, just over 7% right now, compare that to a savings account right now. So we need, we need to have uh, some growth, some, some sense of, of uh, volatility, if you will, liquidity risk. Uh, the simple, the simple answer there is uh, just making sure that uh, we understand that if we have our money tied up, or if we're if if let's say that we're uh, we have rental properties and we're not receiving our rent, they're defaulting on their rent. We have obligations. We have perhaps mortgages to pay. We have taxes to pay. You know that's a that's a liquidity risk in that particular type of of investment. Um, so the aforementioned types of risk you know, that can that can impact portfolios is better. If if it's better recognized and understood, it can provide a lot more comfort and clarity for investors during periods of uncertainty and and market pullbacks. The hardest part of all is just keeping
1: our emotions in check. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. We're going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, The guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at DonFox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Uh, You know, I'm not sure how we can have overconfidence when things are doing the way they are, or the markets and the economy is doing what it is, but this can kill portfolios. How do you become too overconfident
2: here, Don? It's all part of the emotional spectrum. And that's what investing is, unfortunately, all about. It is not about pragmatic, data-driven decision-making skills. It's about emotion for many investors. And so perfect case in point. You go last week, and the market dropped. Say last Thursday or two, a couple of weeks ago, rather, the market on the previous week went down two days in a row, like five or six hundred points on the on the U.S. Dow Jones, one day after another. The following Monday, Tuesday of last week, the market goes up seven, eight hundred points, two days in a row. It's virtually the it's exact same volatility, but it's amazing how that volatility on the upside everybody was okay with. and they don't call that volatility that's simply up but when it's going down five or six hundred points it's now called volatility and volatility works both up and down but we always just we always go talk about the negative side of volatility and so there's so many emotions that run through an investor's mind and I've got eight of them here and I'm going to go I'm going to then talk a little bit more about overconfidence is one of those but one is called representative bias it's basically your judgments are based on stereotypes. And it, what it does, it leads you to be very optimistic about winners. So had you have bought, say, a specific stock, um, say Peloton during the pandemic, all of a sudden you are just optimistic. You're going to ride this thing. is $124 a share. This is great. I'm doing awesome. You're telling all your friends about it. And now it's all down, about, uh, it's down to about $8 a share right now. Hmm. Okay, um, is that
1: is that one of those things that surprised you? Because I remember we were talking about this way back when, and you were talking about pandemic stocks that were going up and and such. Are you surprised they didn't look beyond the pandemic and sign and kind of prepare for this?
2: They're driven by individual investors that were jumping on the bandwagon. Right. These would not be driven by again pension funds, mutual funds. These are mainly driven right. by individual investors that thought this is great and watch it go up. And then they extrapolate because if it goes up 20%, it's not going, it's, it might go to 40%. I'm not selling it yet. Now the opposite is true is that we get too pessimistic about losers. Hmm. So when things are going down, Oh, that thing's never going to recover. It's, it's, it's a load. It's awful. It's a loser. And um, you know, oil and gas, for example, stocks, they were not in vogue during this pandemic. And then, and of course, nobody needed, <laughs> nobody was driving hardly at the beginning. And so all of a sudden, then they go up like crazy. And then there's kind of things with the Russian invasion, et cetera, that have been pushed it even further. So again, there's no right, but it's just tags. We stereotype and we put labels to both of these scenarios and both of them end up being wrong. So again, and so that's one bias. The overconfidence bias, which I'll be getting into a lot more, is thinking you're really smarter than you are. You know, there's this arrogance. Um, you know what it it has to do well you know some very good companies got extremely arrogant Uh, blackberry in canada unfortunately was one of them talk about arrogance they thought okay those app things they're not going to go anywhere we've got our own this is this is what everybody wants they want buttons they want this and they're very arrogant about it and it turns out they're wrong and now they don't have a handheld phone anymore so it's amazing how a, a leader in the industry turned around through arrogance to not even a player anymore okay and and, and investors do the exact same thing um, over optimism irrational exuberance it's again assuming things are going to do extremely well in spite of the fact there's no profits profits or cash flow and we saw this a lot in the dot com era where there's no there was no business plan between around this there was no profits there was they were just throwing money at it hoping it would eventually turn around and it didn't and so it's a great story and people buy the story but they're not buying the common sense about and no, everyone gets wants to be part of the story because it's sexy but it's not sexy when it's falling anchoring you know you buy something at a price and you want to wait until it gets back to that price uh, if it goes down. So you buy, say, uh, say Bell Canada is an example and you bought it at $75. It's now $50. Well, I'll I'll just wait until that comes back. And, I'm you know, at least I got to get back to my $75. You set a price in your head. Now, do you think anybody else buying Bell Canada cares about your price? It has nothing to do with mm. the profits or, or the ongoing profitability of Bell Canada, what you paid for it. And so we don't look sanely at this it's almost a little delusional to be honest and you're looking at something as a benchmark that has nothing to do with what the bell will actually get to so you want to simply have fresh eyes and say okay is that still what i should be buying so what ends up people end up people doing is they'll keep it even though it'll keep going down like peloton is an example oh it's bound to come back i paid hundred dollars went to 110 i'll wait till it gets to 100 Dollars again. Well, now it's less than ten dollars.
3: You know, Don Peloton's a really good example of of that very thing because the 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 advertising that was done, especially during COVID, was very slick. It was yeah. almost it was attracting people like crazy. Just the whole concept, the whole image of that. And and that's the way a lot of people have become with with technology technological related things. Phones, computers, we're told what we want. And we, we want to we sort of be on board with these massive movements forward. And, and that applies to investing in many ways, too. Not just as a
2: consumer, but as an investor. 100%. We, we kind of go in a pack mentality on some of these things. Hmm. And that's what's driven you know, the, the stock price or you know, how well that particular product did or, may, or continues to do. But I said at the time, I said, everybody will love to get back outside again. They will not want to be working out in their bedroom anymore.
1: And and I think that's a valid point too, Don, is a lot of the people, and let's be honest, the people who are into the Pelotons, they're pretty hardcore. Those are the people that are getting out and getting
2: up every morning and go to the gym to do that live with a bunch of people. Exactly, exactly. Uh, Another type is aversion to ambiguity. So this is where somebody with uh, a company, and let's go with Nortel was an example. You know what you could buy nortel stock you had it in your pension fund you could you went you work for nortel this is a darling and so not only did you lose your job you lost all your money when you got let go too because you had all your money tied up in shares of nortel so you end up with way overweight because you know all about this company you feel like you do anyway because you work there you you feel you're in the know and rather than putting your money in the hands of professional running your money that actually is looking at all the aspects of whether it's a good company to buy or not. You're buying it because you feel good about it and you know the company. That's so also aver- the
3: pack mentality, Don, too, isn't it? 100%, 100%. The, the company encouraging people, rallying to to buy more stock.
2: So this aversion to ambiguity, and it, it's, it's again, part of human nature. Loss aversion. We experience losses way more intensely than we experience gains. It's actually on a, on an emotional scale. It's two to one. And so, again, the example I used two weeks ago, the market drops two days in a row poorly in the Dow Jones. And then over the weekend, it goes up. It recovers all of that and then some. Well, everybody remembers the loss and they feel it and they think, oh, God, I hope on Monday it comes back up a bit. And it does. Oh, good. I feel better now. Like it's it's an okay when it goes up. And I always say people measure the ups. In terms of their portfolio by percentages. Oh, I wonder how I did this year. Oh, pretty good, Gary. I did 7%. Oh, okay. How much did you, I, you go down? Well, you went 7%. Well, how much is that? Oh, 150,000.
1: Oh, my God, I lost 150,000.
2: They go down by dollars on the downside and they go up by percent. Yet it so is all percent the time. both way. Yeah.
1: So is this about uh, not worrying about the losses so much because you're in for the long run, or is it about celebrating the wins more? Yeah. <laughs> I always
2: tell them, no. I don't get a lot of phone calls when the market's going well. <laughs> it's on the downside. Yeah. Well, you brought right it
3: up right. earlier, Don, about the media too. What do we hear True. about the markets when, when things are
2: racing ahead forward? Yeah, nothing it, it, to speak nothing. of yeah. hardly anything. It's in the back pages, but it's all front page news when it's going down.
1: Except of course, for right here on this show.
2: Absolutely. <laughs> this is where you get the real goods right here. And self-control is another bias. You know, we, we seem to, want to put limits so when things do go up oh I'm going to just limit that to a 10% gain and if it goes down I'll limit to a 10% loss well now you're you're limiting how well that could go up well, Apple you bought Apple stock at $50 it's now whatever it is $400 and you think well aren't you glad you sold it at $55 when it went up 10% that didn't work out too well so this self control mechanism doesn't work either so you have all these games you play around your money and it feels like Oh, I got this system. Yeah, it's actually costing you money, this system. And I'm going to get into that in a little in a bit because the experts, you know, these hedge funds, they have systems too. And, and I'll be talking about that in a second. And finally, there's an, a self-attribution um, bias where really you blame others for the bad news, but you take all the good news because you did such a great job. Oh, I was such a smart investor. And I have seen these. I'm sure you have too, Gary, where you see somebody in a portfolio and said, oh, yeah, I have a broker and he's useless. I picked that stock and look how well it did. Look what he picked this stock and went down.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I wasn't sure if you were still talking about finance or our spouses now. I, I'm sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> oh, keep it clean, Scott. You know I, I what? You,
1: the people who say that you should offer them a job. Come work for us if you know
2: that much. Yeah, <laughs> true enough, true enough. So and so this overconfidence can kill your portfolio. So there's studies done, and we've talked about this particular one, but I love this one, is eight out of 10 men think they're better than the average driver. Well, statistically, that's impossible, okay? Because <laughs> they can't all be better. Um, in, fi- in fact, 90% of all uh, crashes involve human error. And it's kind of interesting. Women are way better at, at self-analyzing their driving skills. They only have 6.6 out of wi- out of ten women think they're better than average drivers. So they're at least five closer. would be the answer. They're yeah. closer, closer. Okay? Yeah, at least five. At least 3.4 of them admit that they are average or worse. Okay, <laughs> and this is called the overconfidence bias. Now, fund managers do the exact same thing, and they will. They will absolutely do the exact same. So this overconfidence, and I saw a great sign the other day. It showed this cat walking in front of a line of of, uh, of German shepherds, all lined up, sitting there. As this cat walked right across, like I'm okay, you know, nobody can catch me. And this feeling, like this air of confidence, it doesn't, you know, it's kind of interesting. It doesn't always work. And so fund managers also have this very strong belief that they will do better. Now hedge funds. They are one of these ones. Now, what a hedge fund is, it's kind of like a mutual fund, except in the Wild West. They have no rules, okay? They, they can go long, which means they buy now and they sell later, like most investors. They can go short, where they sell now and buy later. So if the market falls, they benefit. They can leverage. They can borrow up to 30% of the fund quite often. And so if they think the market's going to go up, why not borrow money and put it in? they can go hundred percent cash. If they know, if they think that the market's gonna fall, they can go to cash and avoid that fall. They can go heavy into certain types of stocks. So there's no real rules around what they can do. They can literally just, it's the wild west. They can do whatever they want. And so they studied the hedge funds. Um, it's an interesting study from January of 1994 to 2021 and used that against a passive S and P 500 index. And so the average, this index outperformed all these hedge funds over this long period of time by two and a half percent per year. Like that's a huge amount of money. So the S&P averaged about 10 percent. And that would have meant the, and actually the average hedge fund uh, was 8.17. So it was actually close to a 3 percent difference between a hedge fund that could do whatever it wants versus simply owning the S&P 500 and doing nothing. During that time, so to put in case in point, if you had hundred thousand dollars in 1994 and you left it in the S&P 500 and didn't do anything, you just woke up, whatever amount of years that is later—that is it's 27 years later—you'd have 1.4 million dollars. If you put it in a hedge fund and allowed these people to make all these very interesting moves to benefit you and outperform the market. You ended up with six hundred and seventy-six thousand. There's a difference of six hundred and eighty-nine thousand dollars. Your your portfolio is less, more than half actually, because you let a hedge fund do it. And there's a lot of marketing goes on along with hedge funds. They um they they say okay, you have to be a credit investor, you have to have over a million dollars. Um, there's a, a separate fee, very high performance fee. So if you make Say 10%, um, they just charge you your normal 2% fee. But if you get over this, call it a, they call it a high water mark, they'll charge 20% and anything over and above this. And so, but they're they're saying, well, when we do really well for you, we take 20%. But when we don't, we don't charge that fee. And it's all smoke and mirrors. At the end of the day, they don't overperform. And fund managers on that basis too. of fund managers believe they can deliver above average performance, just like the male drivers. Okay. And none of them thought they were going to be below average. Well, I guess you would not want to hire a fund manager if you thought he was going to be below average. Okay. So part of it is uh, you got to believe in yourself, but at the end of the day, overconfidence is an issue. And what's the lesson here? What is your lesson? You know, to take this as a listener, I guess I should just do it myself. No, that's not the answer because I already went through all those different biases you have. The answer is have a very trustworthy advisor that is not rolling the dice, meaning you are in a well-diversified portfolio. And what what does diversification mean? It's exact opposite of a hedge fund. So you're not going to make a killing, but you're never going to get killed. That's diversification. And so this is where... You have an advisor that diversifies your portfolio in a very pragmatic way, rebalances, discusses risk, as Gary has just mentioned, and come back with an investment strategy that matches your risk tolerance.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. DonFox.net. To find out more, you can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 7420. Going to take a quick break here. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of 900 CHML.
1: We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here of Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. Call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905 972 seven, four, two, zero. You're going to start your segment with housing and man, this is something that has a lot of people on the edge of their seat right now.
3: Yeah. It's a crazy time for sure. And, and, you know, if, if, uh, if anyone listening is, is thinking about selling or purchasing a home right now, I think there's definitely some things to consider. And I do realize fully that we're inundated with information about the housing situation right now, but the, you know, the interest rate increases that, that we've experienced since March uh, have really pushed the envelope in terms of making the cost of home ownership. Uh, a, 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 it's really something that we haven't seen in, in quite some time. And, uh, you know, total ownership costs, there's been a lot of, of uh, information released on, on how that has changed the uh, percentage of our disposable income that we have to allocate towards our, our housing costs. And that has now reached 60%. And I remember years back, if we would look at somewhere in the 30s, that mm, would wow. sort of be the the benchmark. And um, the next highest percent historically on record it was 1990, April of 1990, and it was 57 percent of uh, of total household disposable uh, income. Wow. So that's remarkable when you think about it. Um, so the, these higher, uh, so now we've got higher mortgage payments, obviously because interest rates have, have gone up. That, and then you couple that with the, the the dramatic increase we've seen over the last, particularly the last two and three years, of uh, of house prices. It's made it you know so difficult for for people to buy their first home. Um, and and even though at this point in time we've had we've had six months now of gradual declining prices, that has accelerated in the past two months but we've had six straight months where where housing prices have gone down, but prices are still up 44% over the last three years, 44%. Wow. It's, it's incredible. Now, so we've seen inflation drop from around 8% to 7%, uh, but we're going to see another, I think we all agree. We're going to see another increase this year. Uh, certainly in interest rates, it certainly looks that way. And uh, you know, the Bank of Canada continues to say that their 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 target is getting it back down to two percent, getting inflation down to two percent. Well, a lot has to happen. Yeah, it seems a far fetched when right yeah.
2: now we're at seven or
3: eight. So yeah, a lot has to happen. Uh, Canada's National Housing Agency forecasts, uh, as long as rates continue to go up, they're forecasting an ultimate fifteen percent drop in the value of homes from the from the previous high. So you know, just like the investment scenario, you equate that into dollars. For the average price of homes yeah. in today's world, that's yeah. a that's a that's
2: a lot of money. You know, well, that, that's that, an average in Canada, and for the listeners, we're generally right here in the Hamilton GTA area, if you will, and they're already at around twenty percent. Yes, yes, from this from area, high, and right. they're talking about another
3: ten, from what I understand. Yes, so we're we're experiencing the you know the the bulk of that type of situation locally for sure. Um, so if we look at, if we look at, uh, variable rates, so in February you could get a variable rate mortgage for under 2% just in February. Now it's Hmm. 5%. So you think about, again, you translate that into dollars and it's, it's, uh, it's, it's significant in such a short period of time. So it's, you know, it's never been harder for people to buy a home and, um, how that, how that relates to the, the issues that we're seeing with homeless people currently is it's really hard to equate that exactly, but it it has to be a factor. It has to be Mm -hmm. a significant factor uh, that is so expensive to get into your first home. So I just, I also just want to change gears here a little bit. I, I came across something that I thought was interesting. So what do you think is the median age? So median of course is, is an equal amount of more and less, but what is the median age of, of Canadians? currently what would be your guess um 42 okay uh, i was gonna say 45 okay well if this was a game show uh you're both over so but, <laughs> but it's uh, it's actually it's actually 41 percent or sorry 41 uh years of age i should say right. hey, i was so close was, so hey. you were very close so 41 years of age and uh <laughs> that's actually a significant drop. And so what would be some of the reasons for that? So the obvious things that come to mind is immigration. Mm -hmm. So, so certainly Canada is, is trying to attract uh, younger people to come into the country to uh, take over the jobs in the labor market that, that uh, the baby boomers, you know, have already or are, are retiring. And uh, so that's really uh, opened things up. Um, so basically, uh, this is going to continue. That's the that's the forecast anyway. And when we think about it, forty one years of age, we've heard so much over the years about the the bubble, the baby boomer bubble, mm-hmm. and how one third of the population was moving through like a like a, a, a you know like a, a really good meal working its way through a snake. Right. <laughs> and and when we when we got to certain points in time, there would be massive retirements. And then, you know, what about the health care issue as we go down the road when people are are uh, are aging and so on? But the fact that uh, that things are going in the other direction is really
1: interesting because that has
3: not happened for decades and decades.
1: And also, you're forgetting the birth rate. People are just having less kids nowadays. Yes, and we of, need that immigration just to keep the numbers up. We are planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan are here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management at 905-972-7420. Another quick break here. We're coming right back.
0: You are listening to a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified,
1: Seven four two zero. All right, Don. You've been
2: out and about and and making it to the flagship. Unbelievable. Two and a half years later, I got. It was almost like going. It's like a museum. I went to CHML right there in West Hamilton and aired uh, a dozen commercials. Yeah. And it was interesting. You know, it's hard. First of all, it's hard to believe how much that you know. Nothing's changed And By the way, nothing's changed inside Scott. All looks the same, but. On the other side of things, it's it's just weird that it, two and a half years went by and we had not stepped foot in there. And the reason I brought this up is, you know, I I I, I think the quality from from the studio would be better, soundproof rooms, etc. So I went to the studio, but Misty had written twelve commercials, and Misty's one of your coworkers, does all yeah. the uh, a lot of that. When we go back and forth and try to say, okay, what do you want to talk about? She did a great job. In, in coming up with 12 things that we offer to our clients hmm. and sometimes we for, forget all the things that we do it takes an outsider to sit there and look through okay here's where tw- i didn't i wouldn't have come up with 12 commercials for what we do wow. but it was it was amazing so i'm just going to run through the 12 areas and the first one was cash and liquidity you know having a cash account having money on the side we offer a cash account currently paying three point six five percent if you have over a million, it works out to three point eight percent, having line of credits all in ones. we look over when we're when we're talking to clients, we go over a cash flow scenario. we want to know the expenses and we look at ways to get the most out of the cash flow you have, whether it's getting the tax refund from an RSP and taking that refund to pay down debt or maybe using that for our ESP strategies around cash flow. So cash flow and liquidity was number one. Number two, post-secondary. Again, talking about our ESPs, managing them. How is the best way to withdraw the money when the kids turn of age to start pulling the money for their education? Gifts to kids. Can we invest those funds? Tax-free savings accounts for kids when they hit over 18. And they may be even paying the children if they if you're in a self-employed situation where there's ways to income split. Again, all trying to come around different strategies for saving for post-secondary. Third was investment planning. Now, again, immediately, that's what's the go-to. Everybody thinks, oh yeah, I deal with uh, you know, Fox Group, private wealth management, it's all about investment planning. Couldn't be further from the truth as any listener here would attest, but matching investments to their goals is key. And we don't get caught up in that emotion that we just talked about of risk and the yings and yangs of the market. We keep to the plan. Avoiding that big mistake, which would be selling when things are down. And diversification is so key, as I, as I talked about in my last segment. Insurance planning. There's life insurance. There's critical illness. There's long-term care. There's disability. Um, our mortgage, when you have life insurance, you say, well, that mortgage insurance. Well, yeah, well, mortgage insurance through the banks is one way to do it. It probably will cost you more, and you actually get less. There's better ways to do that. Business insurance, um, it's almost another asset class if you have proper insurance inside your corporation. Again, we discussed those. Another area that we discussed is retirement planning. Personalized, and again, I stress personalized retirement planning. Every retirement plan is individualized to you. It is not cookie cutter, and that's what uh, personal financial planning is all about. And and having projections, throwing a lot of what-ifs. Most of the projections are so-called financial plans I've seen are all straight line. They don't even take into account what if the market goes down. We go through a Monte Carlo analysis that has over eight, 1,000 different scenarios to make sure you can stress test your retirement plan. And, and there's so many stages in retirement too. So you may spend more at the beginning, called the honeymoon stage, and you may spend less in the middle. And you know we we call it the uh, go go slow go and no go years. So the kind of the three stages, tax planning. Obviously, this is a massive friction point in a financial plan. It really slows you down. And this is why it's so important to have a, a good tax plan that not only looks at investments, it looks at, at all aspects of your plan. And really the key, how can you make it as efficient as possible and always having an eye to tax? And finally, and these are just, it's so interesting. We're going through this, and these are meetings I have every day. Intergenerational wealth transfer was a topic I just had two weeks ago with a client. He's getting up in years trying to pass on, how do I pass my wealth to my kids? And what about the family business? What about the vacation property? What if it's in the U.S. versus a cottage? Does it make sense? Can I, Hey, what about the capital gains? Can I spread that over so many years, as opposed to taking it in one when I pass it to the kids. These are all questions we talk about. Business succession planning. Charitable giving is is so important right now, too, where it's we, we have it, foundations in doing it in kind, making sure your will is up to date, and really make sure it works. Even if you do give money, can you afford to give money? And finally, the estate plan itself. And this is really reviewing the will, especially if their second marriage is involved. Um, you know, stepkids, codependents, and uh, minimizing that big tax, that capital gain, the RSPs, trying to minimize that. And also, it's always nice to avoid the small tax, probate tax. All in all, this is one big, giant bundle of personal financial planning that I got to give Misty full marks on that she kind of put it all together. So uh, kudos to Misty. And uh, yeah, that's what we do.
1: We have been planning your financial future. I'm Scott Thompson. Don Fox and Gary Hogan have been here from Fox Group Private Wealth Management. You can find out more at donfox.net. You can call them at IG Private Wealth Management, 905-972-7420. Another award winner, gentlemen. Thanks so much. Have yourself a great week.